Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, host of the podcast, transformative principal and author of the book School X, How to Redesign Your Schools for the People Right in Front of You. I'm a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. And greetings, everybody. I am Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts in the fields of education, parenting, sociology, cyber safety, and today we're combining cyber safety and education. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyber Ethics, an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing, and advocacy. Buoyancy Digital is proud to be the inaugural mission partner for the Cybertraps podcast series, a digital advertising consultancy with an ethos. Buoyancy was founded by Scott Rabinowitz, who has been in the digital media world since 1997 and has overseen $300 million in youth safety compliant ad buys across all digital platforms. For IAB, Google, and Bing accredited brand and audience safe advertising sales solutions, media buying, and organizational training for media publishers, reach out to Scott Rabinowitz at Scott R Media on LinkedIn or visit buoyancydigital.com. Hey there, Jethro. Well, hello, Fred. Good to see you today. Likewise. Good to be here. Well, Fred, I am excited to welcome Heather Stratford to the Cybertraps podcast today. She's a thought leader in the IT training and cybersecurity field. Heather keynotes at conferences, universities, and for enterprise clients. She regularly speaks about cybersecurity, women and technology, women and diversity in cybersecurity, creating a cybersecurity culture, entrepreneurship, privacy, and the shifting regulations, and how to manage cybersecurity risks. In 2019, Heather won a national year-long fellowship with the Tory Burch Foundation, received a national scholarship from the Goldman Sachs to participate in the 10,000 Small Businesses Program, and is a 2019 alumni of the Babson College Entrepreneurship Program. In 2018, Heather received the Women in Business Leadership Award from Whitworth University, which is here in Spokane, and was featured by global organizations such as the 2018 G7 Summit held in Canada. She's also served as a board member on the Community Security Coalition, a regional nonprofit helping provide cyber and technology education. So, Heather, welcome to Cybertraps, and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate the invitation and look forward to the conversation. Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be a fantastic conversation because you and I have already spoken about some of the things that... I just appreciate. And I want to start by telling a story. Um, and that story is that I was uh, a principal in Alaska, as many people know, and I got an email from my IT department with all the, you know, I do all these checks to make sure that something is what it's supposed to be. And it came from our uh, domain, looked to be a correct email and had interesting, weird information in it. And I was being fished by my own IT department where they were 
taking advantage of us and trying to test their security uh, situation. And I remember after finding out a couple of weeks later that that was a phishing test uh, to start, that it was just incredibly frustrating for me. I totally lost trust in my IT department and felt like they were abusing their power as the IT. And I, as someone who's aware of this, had done the things I needed to, to make sure that it was safe to click on a link in there. And turns out that because of that, I had to go to a training about phishing, uh, which I did not complete out of anger and frustration. <laughs> so, so Heather, let's start by talking about that kind of a, an approach to teaching people about cybersecurity. Well, that's an interesting story, right? Because what you're talking about is a new phenomenon that we see in the industry and in business. And that is cybersecurity is on the rise. 2020 was the largest year for breaches. The FBI actually saw a 400% increase since the time of COVID in cybersecurity attack reporting through the FBI. So the problem is not going away. And in addition to that, we have a lot of safeguards like firewalls and other things that an IT team can put in place. And they try and do the best in their job to make an organization safe. What happens, though, is that 90%, that's a really large number, 90% of the breaches can be traced back to human error. Now, some of that human error could be in terms of misconfiguring or having different things on the back end that aren't set up properly. But a majority of that 90% are end users or just regular employees that work in any type of organization. You can be a nonprofit foundation, you could be a multinational company, or you could be a school district. You're working in an organization that wants to keep things safe, and yet the humans or the employees are the biggest attack area. So as such, in the last 10 years, there's been a huge shift to create a new industry called, and really phishing and phishing simulation is part of that industry. Uh, And what they have said is, if we fish people, then we'll show them by action. And yet many of those phishing platforms are deflating. And they say, gotcha, you've been fished, right? Uh, I work with a lot of these different platforms. I've resold them. I have set up phishing campaigns. I understand what the rationale was behind them. That as I saw them implemented and as I saw them put into practice, I really had to step back and say, okay, is this the best way for us to help stop breaches and stop attacks by actually phishing our employees? What most organizations do is they say, well, this gives us a number. They want to be able to show their executive staff a specific number that can be reported on. And cybersecurity, it's hard to give those numbers, right? And so they say, well, we sent out a phishing campaign or we phished our employees and only... 45% of them clicked on it. And then we did training and we dropped that percentage down to 20%. That's what they're trying to show. 
Well, and, and the problem really is, is that when we reduce people to a number, it's disingenuous to them. Nobody likes feeling that way. And that doesn't mean that you're actually creating better security. It just means that you are reducing that specific thing that you're trying to measure. And that's binary. That's one specific thing that doesn't mean the overall health of your system is any better. And Heather, if you don't mind, let me just jump in on that as well, because it seems to me that there's a philosophical issue here, right? This, this to me has overtones of hidden surveillance, which I wrote about in my book, The Naked Employee, and, and I actually think is, is not an appropriate tool, either in the workplace or for parents who deploy it against their children. And I guess the question then becomes, you know, when are they doing these phishing things? It seems to me one thing, if you do the training first and you tell people, you should be aware that we're going to test your knowledge in real world conditions as opposed to doing it beforehand when it is a little bit more demeaning and um, I, I, th I think a little bit more upsetting. Uh, absolutely. You will see that most campaigns, they start with a baseline test and that baseline test would be phishing without letting the employees know. And so they wanna say, well, where are we? Now, here's the problem with that. Most phishing campaigns, are individual and unique. Some of the larger platforms that are out there have thousands of phishing templates. You can have a FedEx phishing template, an Amazon phishing template. You can have, there are so many templates out there. So what you're testing on is one person looking at one selected type of attack. And you might click on a, on a FedEx fish, but the real fish that came in, you might not have clicked on. So they're trying to simulate a type of attack, but there are so many variations of it that it's not an accurate measurement. In addition to that, the number that I like to talk to organizations about is more about if the person knows what to do if they see a fish. So Jethro, you talked about being fished at a school and yeah. how that kind of impacted you. What's more important is if you had seen that and known how to report it, if something was out there that your IT team would say, 25 people reported this back to us. Mm -hmm. That's a really important statistic. And it means that there's a higher level of understanding of the employee, that they're part of the security team, that when they see something, they need to say something, that even if it's not a fish or an attack, that they felt comfortable enough to say, hey, I think this might, this is suspicious. Do you want to look at it? So there was a, a communication and a comfort level within the organization that allowed for effective communication. If we took this example and took it to, let's say, fire safety, if somebody walked down the hall and saw smoke and saw a fire break out, they would immediately, you know, pull the lever, get everybody out of the building. They would, they would sound the alarm, right? Because they know what to do. We've all been trained what to do when we see a fire. 
it's different with an attack that is virtual. It's, a, it, it's not as apparent. Do we know what to do when we see something that is wrong? Do we have the communication channels and the training to say, hey, this is wrong. Let's fix it. Yeah, I think that's a really good analogy. And I appreciate you bringing that in because it, it really is about the communication. Like almost everything in our lives is about whether or not we have effective communication. If we do, we can solve a lot of problems before they even start. And in that situation that I was talking about, the IT department did say several people reported this back to us. But like you said, they didn't say how many people did. And so if if they would have said, here's this phishing attack, and we had X number of people, 250 out of the 3,000 people reported it to us, then that would be great. If there is a way for us to say, this is what, this is how you deal with it. So one of the things that people are unsure of is, is it safe to even open the email? Can you tell from the subject line and what shows up in, in just the header? Or should you not open it? Should you forward it? Is that bad also? And the thing is, is that there's not there's not consistent training around that for people to know how to respond. Well, I, I think that that is a perfect comment about what is currently wrong with most of the education within the industry. And that is one, they were fearful of opening the email. They're not quite sure what to do. So first of all, not sure means not enough education. They don't know what to do. And that they're fearful to open an email means that the communication is full of guilt, fear, and is not proper communication. That's where I think that there's a real ethical shift that needs to happen within the industry. And I actually have been uh, running Stronger International, which is a cybersecurity firm uh, built on penetration testing, on helping people uh, have education within their organization. And in that capacity, I ran a lot of programs. And what I consistently heard from chief information security officers and IT teams over security was that what was currently out there was not working and they needed something to address behavior change and something more consistent. And so as such, during the COVID-19 pandemic, I took the opportunity while the world was a little bit in chaos to shift my team and to create our own platform that I felt was needed in the industry to address the current problems. So during COVID-19, a lot of workers ended up having to go home and work from home. That increased the cybersecurity needed to keep people safe. Did our education change that rapidly? No, it didn't. And so that's why the breaches in 2020 were so incredibly increased because there was opportunity by criminals to breach. So I go back to our shift and we shifted and built a new platform with the help of some large enterprises who jumped in and said, we believe in this and we will help fund you and help be beta customers as we roll to really large organizations. The company is named Drip7, so D-R-I-P and the number seven dot com. And DRIP7 is all about this idea of you need more consistency in training. 
I can't go to Jethro or to anyone and say, learn this, sit in a class once a year, and then have you retain that information enough that you use it in your daily life. We all know that we need to hear something more than once. And really, the science has proved that you need to hear something seven times before you really accept it, kind of internalize it and use it. And so I named the company Drip7 as a real understanding of that concept. We need it more frequently and we need to, and it's kind of a hip name. My my, uh, son actually helps me name it. He says, I'm not sure you want to use that word, mom. And I said, no, I think it's the appropriate word. <laughs> yeah, so, that's funny. Um, uh, the, the company is Drip7. Yeah. So the the purpose there then is to, to teach in a way that gets people to actually remember it and change their behavior. And so many times we do different things in teaching people where we think if we say it once and they're going to remember it. And the reality is they're just not going to, even though we often think they're adults, they should be able to figure this out and remember it. And there's just, there's too many inputs. And so repeating the information seven times to get it into people's minds really has an effective way of doing that. And what does the delivery mechanism look like that, you know, you can't have a a seminar on cybersecurity every day for seven weeks and, you know, fill up their time. So what does that aspect look like? Well, right, exactly. It's really important, but when I say consistency, I don't mean let's go down to the meeting room and meet for an hour every day. That's not practical. It's never going to happen. And it's overkill, really. What we need is small bits of information more frequently. So it's top of mind when we do see something suspicious, we're like, oh, I know what to do here because I've been trained more effectively. I look at the safety industry that was in the 80s and 90s and how they started to shift the culture of safety and manufacturing. They would have meetings and they would say 219 days since an incident or they would have hats. They would have they would report about it. It became part of the culture and manufacturing to be safety aware. And they really shifted safety to a new level where you didn't have these industrial accidents like you used to. It is the same thing that has to happen in a technology world. We have shifted so much into technology. Everything is connected. We have to have a more consistent understanding that everybody's on that team. And so DRIP7 uh, comes from the idea of a daily interaction. Now, not everybody will jump in daily, but some of us have things like Fitbits or have been on Duolingo. These are all educational areas where they're trying to tell you more consistently, this is how many steps you've taken, or, hey, good job, you earned a badge in learning French because you've been in... Uh, seven days this week, and you've learned something. So it's positive reinforcement on a more consistent level in an area that most people don't naturally gravitate to, but it's so critical. And the lessons that are learned for business and in an organization in a more professional capacity 
cross over and can be brought back to a home environment where you can keep yourself, your children, your spouse, your elderly parents, all more safe because you have skills that you have learned in the business environment. I think that the name your sons helped you formulate is wonderful. You know, the thought that was running through my head is that another way to look at it is that's how many cups of coffee you need to get going in the day. But, <laughs> but that being said, this approach to education and cybersecurity reminds me of what we did with drunk driving in the 80s, you know, where we figured out a messaging system that was repeated so often that the concept of a designated driver became part of the social fabric. And it it does seem to me that we need to do the same thing with these kinds of cybersecurity, cyber safety issues as well. Well, exactly. And to be fair, many of us went through school and never had any education in technology or cybersecurity. It wasn't part of our educational background. And if we look at our demographics of who is in the workplace, we have four different generational uh, groups. We have baby boomers, we have Gen X, we have millennials, and we now have Gen Z. And those four groups learn and interact with technology differently. They all have different levels of comfort and they learn differently. So from an educational standpoint, we want to be able to bring in different ways of explaining and learning. One of the things that millennials have taught us in our focus groups is they want it to be more gamified. They want to have rewards. They want to see their progress in terms of what they see as their end goal different from a more traditional type of training where you have to have a PowerPoint, you kind of click through, and then you answer a couple of questions at the end, right? That might be a more traditional format that is run through a learning management system. And they don't work because you don't remember it. You're not focused on it. It's in one ear and it's out the other ear. And what we want to do is engage. We want learning to happen. And we want behavior to shift. And, and that piece right there is really the, the purpose of all learning is for you to do something differently than you did it before. Otherwise, it's not really learning. And, and that's a piece where we could have a whole philosophical discussion about that from an education standpoint. But really, you if somebody has learned something, then it causes them to change and they haven't learned it until they start changing or it's not valuable to them, which is just as bad as not learning it. Right. And, and that's a piece where it it needs to be something that is valuable to them. And many guests on our program already have said that cybersecurity is, uh, is something that everybody needs to participate in, that it's not just the technology department, that it's their arena. It really is everybody. And your example about the cyber attacks increasing, during 2020, because people were working from home just underscores how important that is that everybody has to have a part in it. And it cannot be solely the IT department's job to, to fix this problem. Absolutely. And it is really becoming critical to our whole way of life. And and I bring this up because recently in May of 2020, 
21, there was an attack on a pipeline for oil distribution in the east coast of the United States. Now, this is not the first attack on an infrastructure, and it will not be the last attack, but it was a ransomware attack, and it is unclear about how much they paid for the ransom, but we do know it was paid. It is unclear how the attack came in, but statistically, it is highly likely that it came through an email or through phishing, because that is the most likely entry point. What we are reminded of is that our entire way of life is in the balance unless we all collectively start to understand the importance of cybersecurity and what are the best measures. You look at something like multi-factor authentication. That's a fancy way of saying you have to get a code from your bank to be able to do anything, right? Okay, so we are all annoyed when we have to take a couple of extra steps to be able to do something. Oh my gosh, I have to, where's my phone? I've got to get the six digit code. I've got to put something in. But multi-factor authentication is one of those key components of our new world. It is not going away. And what it will end up probably moving to is biometrics. Well, that has its whole other, you know, ethical uh, dilemmas. In historical it. dilemma yes, as well. <laughs> historical dilemmas as well. Um, I will say that the one of the largest global cyber attacks and breaches within uh, the whole world included biometrics, and that was Adahar. And Adahar, for those who are unfamiliar with the word, is the Indian social security system, and they were. It was an insider threat, and Adahar was breached, and there was about a a billion records that were breached with biometrics because a lot of them were uh, thumbprints, you know, fingerprints. And so there is huge ethical implications in terms of how far do we go in to be able to safeguard information and what types of usage, you know, are we going to use a six digit code? Are we going to use a biometric? At, at what point does it cross the line? So there's a lot of issues on that side. What I do want to say is, for practical purposes, if you can set up a dual factor authentication, if you can implement this idea of using codes, either with your bank, business, an organization, do it. Because it's like the key and the deadbolt. A hacker can get through the door. They can easily get that key. But if you have it deadbolted, that is the multi-factor authentication. That's what's going to stop them. And I have talked to numerous companies who had what they call a near miss and the deadbolt wasn't accessed because they had a second authentication in place. Well, if you're a fan of computer-related movies, as I am for obvious reasons, you are undoubtedly familiar with sneakers, which offered one of the earliest examples of a two-factor authentication, my voice is my passport, authenticate me, or something along those lines. Look, I, I, I think, Heather, your point is really well taken. We can look at the Colonial Pipeline instance as being you know, a, a clear example of the potential for breaches and for ransomware. But I think people need to realize that we're transitioning from the major threats to infrastructure being weather and so forth to now being cybersecurity threats. 
Um, you know, looking at the recent reports that as many as 700 people died down in Texas because the weather shut down those systems, it could just as easily have been a cybersecurity related shutdown as well. And I think we're going to increasingly see real world consequences for these kinds of attacks. Well, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because there are real, real world consequences. The founding partnership for launching DRIP7 was actually a hospital system. And they were a regional hospital system in the Pacific Northwest that said, we need something better. We need behavior change. They, it is a critical part of the medical industry. Uh, there has been a huge increase of attacks in the medical industry all the way from the 911 lines to uh, shutting down access for doctors to get information back and forth. It is disheartening to realize that the criminals who are attacking don't care about life. One of the biggest uh, spoofs or phishing attacks during the spring of April and May of 2020, during the height of information about COVID, was spoofing the World Health Organization and sending information to doctors and nurses trying to get their email addresses to get into the hospital systems. Nothing is off the table and it is increasing in intensity and increasing in how well they are orchestrated. And, and I think going back to your point about changing behavior so that one, people know what to do when they see these things, and two, they know not to put themselves at further risk is, is super important, is going to be important going forward. So I, I think my final question here is, it, as you as you think about these processes that need to be in place, the things that you're doing with Drip7 and the people that you're helping, it seems like the, the amount of information that needs to be conveyed is astronomical. So where do you start with the behavior change, with the, the things you're teaching people? Where where would you say is the best place for people to start? Well, I would say there are two things for everybody out there to recognize and, and really be part of. And the first thing is to acknowledge that it's a problem, right? To just understand, yeah, I have to take this more seriously, either from a business management point of view or from a personal point of view, I need to take it seriously. So understand that it's an issue. And that the second thing is education. It is the most important thing that we can do worldwide, personally, at every level, is education. DRIP7 is built upon the idea of empowerment. I believe that people are smart and they will do the right thing when they can. That happens through education. I want to make a positive shift in a very negative industry. Cybersecurity is guilt-driven, fear-based, and I want to shift that by giving a positive spin. How do, you, how do you make cybersecurity positive? Well, we're attempting to do that and say through education, through giving people empowerment to know what to do, we can change their behavior. And it's through small, consistent acts and learning over time that you become who you are. You become, in whatever professional capacity you are, 
you started somewhere. You learned how to write. You learned how to read. You learned how to be a medical doctor. You learned how to be an educator. You started someplace. For many people in cybersecurity, they're really starting at ground zero. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I want to give them the tools to be empowered and give them the tools to help those around them. And so DRIP7 is very mission-based and we are growing and we would love to have input from lots of people. We are creating custom curriculum for different industries, whether it's financial, insurance, higher education, K through 12, energy sector, all with unique needs, but all based on education. We are evolving. It needs to be mobile, gamified, smaller bits of information, engaging, and ethically and uh, universally diverse and thinking about our new world and the way we want to present our new world. Now that, that really makes a lot of sense, Heather. I think the closing thought that I would have on this is that we need all of us, those of us in the mission-based educational realm, need to help people understand that everyone has some skin in this game and that ultimately what we probably need to achieve is some of the World War II home front mentality, you know, where people were aware that loose lips sink ships or that a community garden made a difference to the war effort. And I, you know, I don't want us to live day in, day out like we are at war, but at the same time, we shouldn't forget that these threats are pervasive. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with that. Heather, thank you so much for being part of the Cybertraps podcast. Really great to hear your insight. Um, just want to remind everybody, if you want to learn more about Drip7, Drip7.com is the website and you can see what they have to offer and you get a good taste of, of what they're providing right there. So thanks again, Heather. Appreciate it. Well, and to all of your listeners, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I uh, often talk about these issues and I help people with the organizations and the issues and problems that they have right now. Just love to have people involved in the conversation. I really appreciate both of you uh, asking pertinent questions and bringing this to top of mind and talking about it more frequently and with passion and with an ethical uh, viewpoint and lens. So I appreciate all that you're doing with the center. Thank you. You're welcome, Heather. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. That wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we'll continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including cybersecurity and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you have enjoyed the show and will share it with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions or guest suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. If you're still listening, you must have enjoyed this podcast. If that's the case, please leave us a five-star rating and review. And we look forward to seeing you on our next live show on Monday.